Um, some of you may not, my wife reminded me that it's good for us to, uh, every so often, those who are on the platform, who stand behind this plexiglass shield here, um, would introduce ourselves because not everybody knows who we are. We may have a visitor on Sunday morning and say, who is that strange man up there talking? Or people who are watching uh, on their computer screens or their, or their cell phones. Uh, my name is Randall Kay, and I'm the interim pastor here. I'm here to help the church walk through and get ready for their next senior pastor that's coming. Um, and uh, we would love the opportunity to c continue to minister to you, even if it's, uh, it's, you know, through the internet, it's, it's sometimes hard to reach out, but we want to be a church that reaches out and ministers to the needs of people. Uh, so let us know what we can uh, do for you as we are uh, worshiping uh, as one body, whether it's at home or here in the sanctuary. Uh, we are all part of that one body of Christ. Well, we are here to talk about Advent. Advent being, meaning that uh, that time before the coming of Jesus, that first coming when he was born in a manger. That's the Advent season. We light candles, we do artwork, we read from God's word, we sing the Christmas carols to remind us that Jesus came to get our hearts get our souls ready to celebrate the arrival of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who was born in that manger. manger. Christmas time for us is a time where we focus our attempt on the person of Jesus Christ. Christmas time is also that time when we, we think of love and joy and peace and hope. Those things that we long to as gifts from God. More important than the gifts under the Christmas tree. And speaking of Christmas trees, doesn't the church look good? I don't know who the little minions are that take care of putting all the decorations up, but God bless you, you do a great job. There are Christmas decorations all over. Um, so thank you uh, for making it um, feel a little bit more like Christmas. But Christmas is that time when we focus on those things. And what we're doing during our Advent season is focusing on Jesus by focusing on the various names that are given to him. Last week we looked at Jesus, the Lamb of God, and Jesus, the light of the world. Today, uh, Jessica told us about Jesus, the, me um, the mediator, um, and drew that great, uh, great picture. But we not only, we're going to add one more name, and that is Jesus, the true vine. Jesus says in John's gospel in the 15th chapter, he says, I am the true vine. Now, Jesus made seven statements in the Gospel of John, it should be said that John's writing of the Gospel was to uh, say over and over and over again that this Jesus who we worship, this Jesus who died on the cross for us, this Jesus who rose again is none other than the eternal God. John starts his Gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word and the word was God. 
And later we read in, in first chapter that John says that that word is Jesus who came to make his uh, dwelling place, to pitch his tent, as it were, in our midst. And throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes what we call seven I am statements, where he says, I am the bread of life. Like we looked at last week, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine, which we will look at today. Now, these I am statements are very important. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is talking with God, and Moses says, if you send me down to Egypt to set the Jews free, who do I say sent me? What is your name? And God responds, my name is the I am that I am. Sometimes we could translate, I will be what I will be. There's nothing else um, that you can say about me other than I am. And throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, God's name, I am, used over and over and over again. In fact, we don't find it written in the Old Testament except by uh, the four capital letters that spell out the word Lord. Whenever you see the Lord in full caps all the way across, it's referring to the I am. There was a time when... uh, the Old Testament being written in Hebrew was then translated into what we know today as the Septuagint. The Septuagint was Greek, and so these 70 men got together and translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek. And when in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, they came to the I am statement, they used the words... Ego imi. And so the people who read the Old Testament knew that whenever they came to the ego imi, it was speaking about God. And Jesus used that term in those seven I am statements. And we may just think, well, uh, Jesus really wasn't referring to him as the eternal God, himself as the eternal God. It just happens to be the same word. But you see, when Jesus said it, he most awfully spoke in Hebrew or Aramaic. And so when he did say these I am statements, he said that word that was the name of God. Jesus was aligning himself as God. And It proves itself out in John chapter 8, verse 58, and Jesus is having a heated conversation with the religious leaders. And Jesus says that before Abraham existed, I am, ego in me. 
And the religious leaders knew exactly what he was referring to. He was referring to himself as God, and that is what got him crucified. That he would call himself God. And so we come to this uh, saying of Jesus when he says, I am the true vine. Now it beholds us today to discover what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the true vine. Well, if he is the true vine, that means that there must be a false vine. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 5. And in Isaiah chapter 5, we read about the one that, or the people that were the vine that God created. But the problem that came to that vine, let me read for you. Chapter 5 of Isaiah, verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill and he dug it and he cleared it of stones and he planted it with his choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it only yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more is there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I look for it to yield grapes, and it did not but yield wild grapes. Verse 5, and now I tell you, what I would do to my vineyard. I would remove its hedge, it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, it shall not be pruned or hoed. The briars and the thorns will grow up and I will command also that the clouds, that they rain no rain upon it. Verse seven. For the vineyard of Yahweh, the name of God there, that Lord, For the vineyard of Yahweh of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah. They are his pleasant pleasant planting, that he should look for justice, but, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. We read here in Isaiah chapter 5 that it is Israel, it is Jerusalem, it is the men of Judah which were the planting of the Lord. It was his vineyard. God had a plan set before Israel that they would be a luxurious vine producing good grapes. But Israel did not do that. So God brought down the walls. God made sure that that vineyard died. It was not the way God meant it to be. But then we read in John chapter 15 about the one who is the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For as anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that I should go and bear that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Because Jesus is the true vine, and as he says, we are connected to the vine. We are the branches. There are responsibilities that we have as those attached to Jesus, the true vine. As followers of Jesus, as those who have given their lives to him, those who have come to worship him as King of kings and Lord of of the almighty God, there are some responsibilities that he talks about in this chapter. Things that we have already read about but bears repeating. As followers of Jesus Christ, We are called to bear fruit. To bear fruit. That's what he talks about in in verses 2 through 8. In verse 16, he says that we are to bear fruit. Now that uh, begs the question, what is the fruit that we are to bear? Now there's really two ways that you can go about this. You can say the fruit refers to new followers of Jesus. 
That as you share your life, as you share the story of Jesus, as you share the good news, the gospel, and people surrender their lives to Jesus, turn their lives over to him, confess Jesus as Lord, that's fruit. That's the fruit we are called to bear. Not just the evangelists of the church, but all of us who are attached to Jesus are called to bear fruit. You have the responsibility, I have the responsibility to say, am I bearing fruit? Am I telling people about Jesus? Are people coming to know Jesus, to give their life to him because of my pouring myself into their lives? Am I bearing fruit? The other fruit that we can bear is also what Paul refers to in Galatians as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those fruit that are being born in my life or born out of my life because I am attached to the true vine. Am I more loving today than I was yesterday? Am I showing more patience today than I was yesterday? We will not perfectly bear fruit. That just doesn't happen in our lives. But we should be able to say, I am, because of the Holy Spirit's work in me, I am more loving today than I was before. Maybe just a little bit more loving, but I am loving more today. I am patient more today. I am kind more today. Those are the fruit that we can bear. As we are attached to the vine, as the branches, we are to bear the fruit of those coming to know Jesus and of the fruit of the Spirit. So the next statement is, how do we bear fruit? Jesus says that the way we bear fruit is by abiding in him living in him, and he living in us, abiding in us. Now, what does it mean for Christ to abide in us? How does that happen? Well, the scriptures seem to tell us that, or do tell us, that Christ comes by the Holy Spirit and makes residency in us. And it looks like when we were studying in Ephesians that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. He in us, us in him. Now we may not feel, I know that it's true for me that I don't always feel like I'm abiding in Jesus. I feel sometimes that Jesus is far from me. I'm abiding somewhere else. Sometimes I don't think that uh, he is abiding in me. I don't feel him. Don't we all want to feel Jesus? Don't we all want to know this warm, cozy feeling that emanates from us, that reminds us that Jesus has taken up residency in us? So, what is Jesus referring to 
that says we can make sure that he abides in us and we abide in him. Well, Jesus says in verses 4 through 7 that we are to abide in him, and he says, and my word, my bale of hay, is to abide in you. You need to eat the word of God. You need to spend time in it. We need to abide in Christ, and he needs to abide in us. And what is the result? If we are to bear fruit and abide in Christ, what is the result? Well, over and over again, in verses 9 through 17, he says that we are to love one another. We are to love one another. We are to give graciously of our lives to other people. And he says that our love is marked by his love with the Father. As Jesus loves the Father and as the Father loves Jesus is the same kind of love we need to have for each other. Jesus sets the bar pretty high. But he should. He doesn't say, um, church, followers, just um, get along. Just don't get in each other's way. No, he says that we are to love each other. As he has loved us. And how did Jesus love us? Well, he loved us great by showing that he is the mediator between God and man. That his death on the cross purchased us for God. Paid the price of our sin. He loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. He bore your sins, your brokenness, your separation from God. As that kind of love was exhibited to us as Jesus' friends, that's the type of love we are to exhibit to one another. So how do we do it? How do we bear fruit? How do we abide in Christ? How do we love one another? Three things to go with that bearing and that abiding and that loving. The first step is that we need to commit our lives to Jesus Christ. Commit our lives to Jesus Christ. When I married uh, Linda, we committed our lives to one another. And in that commitment, I was saying to her, I will not go after another woman. I am committed to you. You are my wife. It is to you that I uh, pour my affections. Now, have I done that perfectly? I mean, just talk to Linda. She'll, you know, inform you that there have been times that I have not done that really well. But my goal is to be committed to her, to love her, and in some way surrender myself to her. 
As we come back after Christmas, we're going to pick up again in Ephesians. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we are told as husbands and wives to submit to one another because of Christ. We are told as husbands as to give our lives for our wives as Christ gave his life for the church. That's a lot of giving. That's what we're called to do. It means a surrender. When we are going to commit our lives to Jesus, I am surrendering myself. The German uh, pastor, Lutheran pastor, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died in the concentration camp, I believe uh, he was killed there just two days before that concentration camp was liberated. But he has written many books and he was part of a movement to bring uh, Bible-fearing churches into Germany during the height of the, uh, of the war, of the work of, of Hitler. And Jesus writes in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he says, when Jesus calls a man to himself, When Jesus calls a man to himself, he bids him come and die. We don't preach that gospel very often. We preach, come to Jesus and you get to go to heaven. Come to Jesus and everything will be good. And some churches even preach, and I'm going on a little bit here, but some churches will even preach, come to Jesus and you will become rich in this world stuff. I don't find that in Scripture. It seems the Scripture makes it really clear that we are to pick up the instrument of sacrifice. We are to bear the cross of Christ, that uh, symbol of death, but becomes for the church because of the resurrection, a symbol of Christ, his power, and his life. We are to surrender ourselves to Jesus. We are to abide in him, commit our lives to Jesus, be willing to, well, not just be willing to, but to die to self. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, uh, for... uh, It is no longer I. It is no longer Randall who lives, but it's Christ who lives within me. Getting myself out of the way. And like we have said numerous times in churches that I've served in the past, is continually uh, relating to ourselves this truth. It is not about you. It is about God. It's not about you. It's not about your way. It's about God. It's about surrendering to him. Knowing that as we do, we experience the fullness of his love. Oh, how God loves you. You are special in his eyes. 
He desires to hold you close. To bring your soul back into relationship with him. To give you the strength that you need. And all of that comes as we surrender ourselves to Jesus. So commit yourself to Jesus. Second, commit yourself to God's word. Commit yourself to God's word. If we want Christ to abide in us and we to abide in him, we have to be people of the book. We have to find ourselves in this and this in us. Now, to me, that means more than just opening up the Bible, reading two verses for the day and closing it. I believe to have this word abide in me and for me to abide in it means that I have to spend diligent time in God's word. I have to learn it. I have to devour it. I have to make it part of my being. So that when I look at the world, I know how to respond. Because I can respond as Jesus responds because I know the words of Jesus. I know how to respond to God because I've seen God's response back and forth with his people. We need to be people of the word. Hiding God's word in our hearts so that we may not sin against him. But if you're spending more time on the internet, if you're spending more time watching television, if you're spending more time just doing things for yourself rather than in deep study and meditation upon the word of God. And meditation here is not sitting in a lotus position and focusing yourself on your navel. It's focusing yourself on God's word to sit with it, to let it soak into you. Commit your life to Jesus, commit your life to God's word, and third, commit yourself to love one another. To love one another. It's something that we need to choose to do. You see, love, love does not come easily to any of us. Real love demands life. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus said the things and John recorded the things that Jesus said about abiding in him, about loving one another. In fact, he makes it a command that if Jesus was going to abide in us and we abide in him, we have to obey his commands. And he commands us to love one another because he knows that love doesn't come to us naturally. We have to choose to love. It comes out of bearing fruit and abiding in Christ and loving one another. Jesus says in verse 17 of chapter 15, he says, these things I command you. What things? To bear fruit, to abide in him, to love one another. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You will love one another as God has loved you. 
So, brothers and sisters, we have a task before us to love one another, to give deference to one another. That means to put others in front of you. So, let's bear fruit. Let's abide in Christ. Let's love one another. And let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.